Welcome back to the LG Procast, the podcast for local government decision makers across Victoria, where we tackle the big issues facing council leaders as they arise. In this episode, we're tackling a workforce gap that's only widening, environmental health officers. According to the World Health Organization's definition, environmental health encompasses the assessment and control of those environmental factors that can potentially affect health, targeted towards preventing disease and creating health-supportive environments. So from maintaining food safety to mitigating noise pollution, it's a role that's as important as it sounds, but a position that's increasingly difficult to fill. But before we jump into the problem and the potential solution, this episode is brought to you by Public Sector People. Market leaders in public sector recruitment, their team of specialists work across construction, engineering, business support, planning and environment and professional disciplines. From temporary and contract to permanent positions, they work from entry level through to harder to fill senior and director level roles. If you're looking to recruit, email info at publicsectorpeople.com.au for more information. Diving back in, the Department of Health and Human Services conducted a census of the Victorian environmental health workforce back in 2018. Most EHOs said it took between four and eight weeks to fill an EHO vacancy, but a quarter of respondents had these vacancies stretching out from anywhere from 10 weeks up to a full year. We caught up with Daniel Osborne, City of Casey's Manager of Safer Communities, to find out what exactly these EHOs do and why there aren't enough of them. The important work of environmental health officers often goes unnoticed by the general public. So when they think of councils, they might go straight to roads, rates and rubbish. But the HOs play a real important role in our society in ensuring we address the the impacts of the environment on our health. You know, food security, addressing nuisances, noise, air quality. Their work only becomes more important when we consider recent events of COVID, the emerging um, health issues related to climate change and heat health as well. I know there's also been historic changes around skilled migrants and the visa issues and bringing people in from overseas to help with the workforce. I'm also aware many EHOs in the industry are retiring, uh, so there's a loss of skills and knowledge within the industry. The pandemic simultaneously put the spotlight on EHOs while dragging them away from their day-to-day obligations. We spoke to specialist environmental health provider Kerno to find out what impact COVID has made on the workforce. Here's Kerno's Environmental Health and Partnerships Manager, Peter Wright. Through the COVID period, quite a few EHOs took on secondment opportunities with the State Health Department. So definitely some of them have moved into that environment to combat COVID. Education is also a key issue, and there are structural barriers in the way in the university sector. And I think the last thing I'll point on is some difficulties in the university space in attracting undergraduate students studying the EHO qualification. As of late 2021, there are only five students studying environmental health in Victoria at Swinburne University. These students can only gain a recognised qualifications under the Public Health Act for a postgraduate qualification at this university, and this small cohort is not sufficient to meet sector demand. To get a better understanding of what's changed, we need a quick history lesson. Here's Kerno's business development manager and 30-year local government veteran, Sean LaFontaine. To go back about four or five years, Swinburne University is the only university in Victoria that has a dedicated environmental health course. About five years years ago, Swinburne made a decision to cease offering the environmental health course, basically because they didn't have enough people enrolled in the course itself. What that meant was that there wasn't any state-based trained EHOs coming from that tertiary level. 
what happened was it moved to a postgraduate course, which is only a 12-month program. A report on local government job creation opportunities developed by LG Pro for Jobs Victoria last year revealed statistically what a lot of local government executives have already known for some time. Among other positions, there is a lacking talent pool to draw EHOs from. Where roles are in distant parts of country Victoria, for example, the report found that applicants were unwilling to relocate, particularly now that working from home has been normalised. To make regional recruitment trickier, people living in rural Victoria can now work remotely in higher paying metro jobs and local governments can't always compete with private sector salaries. Exacerbating the lack of students in the pipeline though, councils are also finding it difficult to fill the gap internally or to attract EHOs from other industries. And we've found that it's just the capacity of the sector to be able to train new people coming into the sector. We don't think there's many people that are experienced and uh, knocking on the door to join the sector. Most of them have moved on or they're happy with their work location. It's getting new people into the sector is is what we need to do. And I think that's the lack of promotion. There are real risks to councils and the communities they serve here. The obvious risk is to health safety, but there is also a growing regulatory obligation that isn't being met. I think for it's managing the risk to service impacts with a limited workforce. So I've heard on the ground in the industry that when a resident EHO and a council takes leave, the service stops, which means there's a massive risk for council considering their EHOs are often on the front line, investigating food borne illness outbreaks or addressing uh, customer complaints or concerns about nuisance matters. To get a sense of how short staffing is playing out, here's a stark picture. Under the Food Act of 1984, councils are mandated to conduct annual assessments of food businesses. Only 19 out of 79 councils were able to complete 100% of these businesses regarded as high risk back in 2020. Some councils had only been able to complete 6% of their registered Class 1 and Class 2 premises in 2020. While we've highlighted why the lack of EHOs is such an issue, there are solutions in the works. Casey, Bass Coast and Cardinia Shire councils have pulled their resources and adopted a shared service contract to procure environmental health services as of January last year. With a background as an EHO himself, Daniel's the City of Casey's representative as part of this shared service contract with an intrinsic knowledge of what it's like to be an EHO behind the scenes. Casey and Cardinia, for example, we we operated independent contracts with the contractor and it came about you know, some localised inconsistencies where we're neighbouring councils and it just made more sense to, to partner up using the common contractor to deliver the important service of environmental health. That was probably one of the main drivers of looking at a shared service model. It was back in April 2021 that Casey, Bass Coast and Cardinia signed a memorandum of understanding to work together to obtain environmental health service across the three municipalities. And this was going to be through a shared service contract, engaging a common contractor for the service delivery. We pulled our procurement teams and, and council staff that had existing knowledge of contracted services to develop a specification that went out in um, mid-2021. And, and Kerno Environmental Health Service was selected as part of that um, competitive process. Shared services contracts aren't foolproof though and they have broken down at home and abroad. Here's Sean on what his team has learned from studying what has and hasn't worked. 
I've been researching shared services and the benefits, and I've been studying what had been going on in the UK with the austerity measures that have been put in place by the government over there and the impact that it had on local authorities. And all sorts of different service delivery models were tried by councils over there. And one of them that I had a particular interest in was the Worcestershire Regulatory Shared Service model that was put in place, which was led by the councils themselves. So the councils became board members, and then there was a separate group that sat outside of that, but they were funded individually by the councils to operate. But what happened over time, it, it failed because there's, there's austerity measures sort of hit harder and harder to, to survive financially, the head of the, that model had to look at other income streams to ensure the viability of the shared service model that was in place, but it could only go so far and, and eventually it fell over. And it fell over because all of a sudden there started to be disputes between the seven councils that fed into their shared services about who was getting what, who was paying what into it, what they were getting in return. So all of a sudden it bit turned into a bit of a finger-pointy episode where others felt that they weren't getting the value out of it for what they were investing into it. So we had a lot of learnings where there were council-led shared services that were set up. Um, and we've seen some of that happen in Victoria where that sort of scenario occurred where the councils led it and it had, went through a honeymoon period where everything was great, but then all of a sudden questions started to be raised about where where the time and effort was being allocated and how much um, people were being allocated towards that and what value for money they were getting in return for their investment. And invariably it, it failed. The model that we've gone with and we've, we've We've developed a, our own shared service paper on it around what we think is a sustainable model. And the sustainable model is that sort of Kernow is the, the intermediary where the provider, but it's the councils individually through a contract that actually determine what the expectations are of their environmental health service under a shared service model. There is a requirement for each of the councils to have in place their own sort of consistency around expectations of how the delivery of the service is provided to them because consistency is a key theme to maximising efficiency, reducing cost and maximising the whole outcome of the overall shared service benefit. When it works, the shared services model has distinct advantages. Having a contractor that employs a large cohort of trained, qualified staff um, means resources can be pooled and deployed um, where, it, where it's needed most to address on-the-ground problems. I suppose it removes that issue you might see of councils where if their resident EHO goes or you know people move on, then there's that loss of knowledge in an organisation else with this model it continues. Having consistent policies and procedures means EHOs on the ground don't need to adapt to the potentially changing policies between councils and will benefit from consistency between the three municipalities. From a council perspective, um, if you're a new council coming on board that may not have been involved with contractors in the past, you get those inherent benefits of learning from those councils who have used a contracted service in the past. But what are the political realities and practicalities of this kind of inter-council cooperation? Yeah, and it's a really good point because recognising that, you know, City of Casey is quite a large um, organisation compared to uh, Cardinia and then cascading down to Tabasco, which might be considered one of the smaller councils. The contract recognises that each council is a uh, legislative 
sharply distinct um, and we retain independent decision making. However, um, each member council has agreed to work together to achieve consistency of practice procedure and to achieve a consistent and efficient environmental health service across each municipality. So how we go about doing that is um, each council has a a council representative who exercises uh, the delegations on behalf of their relevant councils and they provide day-to-day guidance to the contractor on operational issues like law enforcement, contractors accessing council systems and office spaces, addressing local comms and press releases. These council representatives then also form what's called a steering committee um, that jointly monitors the performance on the contract and provides that strategic oversight of the service on promoting consistent work practices, policies, and to maximise the efficiencies gained from a joint service. So it's very much at that strategic level in the steering committee where we nut out some of those matters of the environmental health service that might be independent to each council, but we still work through consistency in common areas like food safety, for example, having common uh, food inspection practices. Initially, when we were doing the procurement side of things, there was quite a lot of work done in a short period of time. So I would say probably fortnightly um, we were meeting together in procurement teams and then council-based teams. Now that the contract's in place and we're very much in the first year, we try to meet up once a month to discuss those strategic areas that we want to improve. And then, like I said, there's still daily engagement um, between the council representative and the contractor working through some of those high-risk matters as well. If you're feeling the pinch on your environmental health workforce, what can you do today to address it? Here's Daniel on how to start the conversation. Often it may stem from an internal service review. Um, I know for us at Sydney Casey, we had an external service review come in um, and I think there was a joint procurement for that as well. We went into bat with about three or four other councils to review internal delivery models and external delivery models and seeing the pros and cons of both. So often it's very much a touching base with contracted councils or those that might have internal um, teams just to hear about the benefits, but also, you know, some of the challenges that come about from a contract. From there, I know with our shared service contract, we have an ability now through a deed of adoption process where individual councils can join the service at any time. And depending on their council's procurement rules, negates the need of going through a traditional tender process. So there's also inherent cost savings with that as well. And from the contractor's perspective and what they were offering, here are Sean and Peter. So we were the lead of it. We'd been in discussions with particularly Casey and Cadinia for the past two or three years about our thoughts uh, of shared services and the benefits that it can provide to councils. But essentially it drives a lesser reliance again on resourcing numbers. We can operate an EHO across three councils um, quite effectively. We can utilise their expertise quite, quite easily, quite well, and to maximise that across three councils, we can operate um, a lot of elements of their administrative function through just the one person in the one location instead of having three admin people, like one located at each site. So essentially, it, it drives a lot of efficiency gains that you cannot, you can't, you can't necessarily do just within the one council itself. It's all about scale. Because we've just entered into this agreement with Bass Coast, Cardinia and Casey from the 1st of January, it's early days. It's early days, but it's exciting days because it's actually the first for not only environmental health, but a regulatory area 
to have a shared service arrangement under one contract in local government. I think not even in Australia, it's it's happened before. So it is new, uh, but the benefits are there and the key pil- two key pillars for it are what we can do to optimise efficiency and consistency of practice. Is a shared services contract the only option to solving the EHO shortfall or is there another silver bullet? So I don't think there's a silver bullet um, that's going to solve this um, problem right away. But I know initiatives like the shared service or, or using an organisation that pulls their resources and skills and things like that is really one of the important steps, I think, to address some of the shortfalls. And nowhere is the need more pressing than in regional Australia. Sean sends us off with this longer-term solution. Rural councils are wanting to have a sustainable environmental health workforce. They need to invest in it and they need to look to attract local-based students, get involved in in the the Year 12 programs or work experience programs at local secondary schools, identify someone who has an interest in environmental health and then support them to reel through that journey to become environmental health because the only sustainable way to do it is to have a local-based workforce. And to do that in rural regional councils, you have to invest in that. Thank you to Sean, Peter and Daniel, to Public Sector People for sponsoring the LG Procast and thank you for joining us.